What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, hey there, we're back. This is Eric alongside with Rod and for another summer session here where we talk about stuff outside of games, but we're going to talk specifically about recruiting and where offers are with Michigan State. And then also we're going to talk a little bit of Moneyball, I suppose, because I managed to go up to Moneyball. I was there Tuesday on the 12th, so uh, last week, and I saw a number of number of guys play, everyone but Hauser, who's uh, in the Moneyball. And I don't know, it was a fun time. I've never been there before. I had never really even known anything about it until maybe like right before the pandemic. And I thought maybe next year I should try. And of course then, you know, pandemic hit and I haven't had a chance to make it up just because there's an opportunity to see former Spartans play. Like I know, I think Draymond Green has been there yep. sometimes and Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. Of course I went there and it was nobody except just the, the players in the team. And actually they were one of the teams only had five players. <laughs> they didn't have any subs at all. I, I will tell you this, what's been remarkable to me thus far from, and I haven't been yet, but from what I've been able to tell the attendance by Michigan State players, like actually showing up and playing has been better than in many other years. There have been a lot of years where MSU guys are supposed to be there and they're not. It's all, it's inconsistent depending upon whether they're in town, whether they feel like going after they've had a full day of workouts. You know, but <laughs> yeah. it seems like uh, it's been far, far better this year. Pretty much every game, the vast majority of MSU guys have been showing up. I do remember there was one year, and I forget which year it was, but it was definitely the Xavier Simpson, John Teske era for Michigan, where several Michigan guys were supposed to play, and which would have really added a lot of spice to that thing. And never oh, ended yeah. up showing up. I guess somebody realized that the drive from Ann Arbor was more than they wanted to commit to, and they never showed up, but but yeah, that's great that you were able to see. So, you know, before as we get into this, I'll just remind listeners who maybe don't pay as close of attention to this. Um, you have to take Moneyball numbers and really much of anything statistically with a huge grain of salt. And the reasons for that are many. The level of competition is inconsistent. Sometimes it's really good. There have been guys who were not major college players, um, but that are from the Lansing area who were actually pretty good and could have been that had circumstances been different. And they'll play in it. And some, and sometimes you'll get, you know, I think there was a year that um, uh, Khalil Felder, the guard at, who was so good at Oakland and had a run uh, in the NBA for a little while 
I believe he played one year, if I remember correctly, maybe more than one year. Uh, so a lot of Oakland guys, sometimes guys from the Mac schools. So it varies, you know, and then junior college guys. It, it's But it, competition's all over the map. It's kind of an all-star game environment. And you can speak to this. A defense is optional, to say the least. Um, <laughs> and you also have to keep in mind, like I, I will say this, not – not to criticize Jim Comperoni because I, I already know enough to be able to read between the lines, but he had a post. I don't think the same game you were at. I think it was the game after that, where he was talking about Mati Sissoko having a tough time, um, particularly in areas that he needs to be better for Michigan state rebounding defense, staying on, being able to stay on the floor without fouling those types of things. But the caveat to that is he had had two workouts that day. He did a morning workout and an afternoon workout at Michigan State, particularly for big men. By the time you get to whatever time his game was, 6 o'clock, 7.30, whatever it was, after a day with two full workouts, I don't know how much gas you've got left in the tank. Even a guy in great shape the way Mati is, I, I just don't know what's there. So you can't, for all these reasons, you can't put too much into it, but – you did see the MSU guys, and I do think there are some small things that you can try to take away from it. The way a guy moves, um, how comfortable he looks with the ball in his hands. Um, sometimes you can see a shooting breakthrough coming, sometimes not. One guy who had actually ended up translating that following season was Kenny Goins. Kenny Goins had a great summer at Moneyball shooting the three before his senior year. And that translated. It took a few weeks into the regular season, but it did show up. So sometimes you see that. I want to ask you about one guy in particular in that respect. Um, but yeah, everything we're going to say, I just caution listeners, don't take it too far. This is mostly fun and maybe just to get an early peek, at, especially at the new guys, of which we've got a few. Um, just to see how they right. looked. Uh, but let's start with, I want to go back to that shooting comment I made. So you saw A.J. Hogard play. Yes. Okay. I have heard from multiple people who have seen other games at Moneyball so far that his shot looks legitimately better, his jumper. So what did you see? I did not. <laughs> I thought it was pretty <laughs> terrible. Uh, and I'll preface this by saying... I'm not someone who goes to watch, like you, I don't go to AAU games. I don't go watch um, these tournaments. And so I don't have a real good feel for what it's like watching these, I don't know I say disorganized, but they sort of are just like, it's a pickup game where you have guys yeah. just coming, they're substituting on their own off the bench. There's no coach and they're just sort of, they're not, there's no connected defense. There's no real set offensive sets or whatever. And so it's yeah. just weird for me watching basketball like that. And so I would say um, yeah, the second game had, had AJ Hogard and I think Maddie Sissoko, I, don't have a lineup in front of me. I've got it actually in my closet up uh, in the other room. But um, I think AJ was like one for five. And I mean, three of those misses were really bad. I mean, they were like terrible and not like heavily def closely defended. There are a couple the guys are just jacking up threes all over the place. And there's, a you know, people are eight feet behind the line and, you know, in transition, not even setting their feet. And so a lot of those, I'd, I I don't know how much you put stock into those because you think to yourself, there's no way in a real game you're going to be taking that shot 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 selection is completely out the window. So I know, cause I've seen enough people talk about it. 
Pierre Brooks, to use an MSU example, has been playing basically like vintage Antoine Jobert at Detroit Southwestern, where he's just jacking every time he gets inside half court. We know that's not going to be the case at MSU. So that's what I mean, taking it all with a grain of salt. But yours is the first negative report I've heard about AJ shooting. So um, that is interesting. I, I would only, and I would only add to that that I know I don't think I'm really skilled enough to say, oh, his mechanics are really off, or they just look a lot different. I could just tell you that the results looked pretty much like they did last year. Like you know, he had oh. one that was really nice. He I think missed two kind of badly. Made one and you're like, oh, it's like a nice transition three. He just he was cutting on the court, just pulled up and just and took a shot. I think it was from the top. And then the next two were not very good. But I guess I don't know. I I don't know how much you can take sock in that. And he played with Maddie Sissoko. Um, so I don't know. AJ was good. I mean, he was really solid with the ball and he seemed to have a lot of fun. And I, and I would, the one comment I'd say about AJ, he was there. So Tyson Walker played the first game, Hogarth's the second game, and then Trey Holman was the third. So it's just kind of just by chance, you know, the three right. point guards back to back to back. Hogarth was there during the first game with Walker. And I mean, he was giving Walker a hard time. And, and I shouldn't even say that. Encourage him. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chemistry between those two. And I don't think it was, I think it was really good chemistry is what I felt like um, during when Holloman was playing the third game. Uh, those two were sitting together. They're just joking around the whole game um, and they seem very comfortable with each other. And then, you know, during halftime Holloman sits down between them and they're just having conversations. So I thought like, I know there were lots of concerns about the, his sort of how good a teammate Hogard was. And my yeah. impression was, is he was really getting along with everyone and they enjoyed being around him. So I don't, and so I, right. for what that's worth, I don't know. Oh, and I think that, look, I think those are the kind of things that are worth noticing and talking about at Moneyball rather than getting hung up on shooting percentage or, or God forbid, point totals <laughs> and those things. It's those subtle things that you can only really know if you're there and you're watching it. So that is that is encouraging to hear. And, you know, for what it's worth, because I, I, I definitely heard some of this stuff around Hogard last season. I don't think it was I don't think it was oh, this guy doesn't get along with anybody. I think it was that uh, it, it's it's more subtle things that you know Tom Izzo puts a lot on his point guard. A lot on the court in in the tangible ways and then also intangible ways. Doing things to to help others be better around you being a good teammate. And and so the things that you're talking about do matter and that's encouraging to see. And it, it goes along with some things that I had heard in the aftermath of the season that it seemed like there finally was after, you know, numerous occasions of, you know, ramming a head into a wall that finally there started to be a breakthrough in terms of understanding. And this is not uncommon at Michigan state. You can, you can talk to a lot of these guys and I've heard a lot of them over the years say this, who played at the point for MSU that it takes years, multiple years to really get everything that Tom Ezzo is trying to impart to them that he wants. And so it's not beyond the realm of, of reasonability that it would take AJ Hogard until now heading into his junior year for him. And, and let's also remember that summer before his freshman year really was a waste. 
I mean, he didn't get, because of COVID, he didn't get the opportunity that a player normally has for that. So he's been even shortchanged a little bit in some respects from what a typical junior would be at, at Michigan State in that regard. So um, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that. Uh, let's turn, I mean, we don't necessarily need to go through everybody, but you mentioned Trey Holloman. What what did you what did you see from Trey in that game? He he was great. I mean, he was really skilled, uh, great ball handler, and boy, he could really shoot. And uh, he looked really smooth shooting the ball. And he was he shot well. I mean, there was a time when he hit maybe six threes in a row, and wow. a couple of them were defended. <clears throat> one one or two of them were, I think, step back threes that um, he sort of you know did a couple of crossover dribbles and step back and you know launched and so he looked really good. I mean, I was very encouraged and. And I think, you know, to expand a little bit about the Hogar thing, I think, you know, when I say they were giving a hard time, I think they're just kind of like, they seem to have a lot of time razzing it. And they were very encouraging of each other. Like, you know, Hogar yeah. was really encouraging Walker. Walker was, I think he's a quieter guy, so he was not quite so much Hogar. But they were definitely encouraging Holloman a lot during that game. And um, I, you could definitely see the Michigan State players, they're, you know, you could definitely tell their teammates, right? Like they would encourage each other. And they, so that was good. I mean, I felt like there was good, 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 you know, chemistry there. And, but Holloman, I think he's going to be really good. I mean, it, you almost feel bad that he's going to be so far behind in the depth chart in some respects with those, those guys in front of him. But I guess well, he might be so good. You might find ways to get him on the floor and uh, yeah, maybe it's look, 10 minutes or something. I don't know. I, I've seen some people who I respect, you know, talk about the idea that uh, kind of alluding to what you were just saying that, boy, you know, it's, it's a shame because he is probably ready, but it's going to be tough for him to earn a role. I don't buy that. And the reason I don't buy that is MSU, well, two reasons. One, MSU clearly has limited numbers on the perimeter. Even if you think Malik Hall is going to be primarily a wing, which they continue to talk about. I saw an article late last week, Joey Hauser and Malik Hall again talking about how they went to Izzo want to play together and it's going to be Joey at the four Malik at the three. So believe it. I know there are people who are suspicious of that. It's going to happen. They are going to try it. I am absolutely convinced. But even with that, you've still got a situation where you've got, let's assume that the starters would be, and I'm just saying this for argument's sake, Hogard, Aikens and, um, and Hall at the three perimeter spots, right behind them. You've only got, in terms of returning guys, Walker, who we know can play on or off the ball, um, and Pierre Brooks, who I think is set for a much bigger role this year. But let's be honest, Pierre's coming off a year where he didn't play a lot. So I think any – and that even counting almost only five guys, ideally Izzo wants to run six. Now, there is another guy, Jason Whiten's, who was a preferred walk-on, was a multiple-year starter at Western, got hurt in the exhibition last year, didn't play. He is back. I do think there's a chance that he plays a role this year, but I think it's less likely this year than it would have been had he been healthy last season because of Trey Holloman. Trey Holloman, I want to ask you this question about Trey. Uh, it just occurs to me as I'm talking. Uh, in seeing him in person, did he strike you as a guy with a lot of length on the perimeter? Because that's what I have seen. I've not seen an official wingspan measurement, but man, 
over and over and over in in clips of Trey Holloman, you see him blocking shots, getting deflections, and he looks really long for a guy who's listed at six two ish. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned that he definitely does. And I would also say the other thing about him is he doesn't look small. Like he right. doesn't look, he doesn't look like overweight or anything, but he doesn't look like he's really uh, scrawny. I mean, I think the, the kid's pretty well built. And so he's, I think he's like big 10 ready as, as opposed to being you know, I, from a toughness standpoint, at least just looking at him and the way he can handle himself. I think Listen, that it's, it's old school as in a lot of ways. Cause Trey Holloman, was a big-time football recruit. Trey Holloman could have played D1 in football. Um, and theoretically, he could decide to explore that at some point at Michigan State, although I, I'm not sure that I believe that that will happen. But he was good enough to. So that's that's not really a surprise to hear you say that because he was a football player and a very, very good one. So, um, yeah, I think that helps, though, the fact that he's not going to be lacking from a strength point of view uh, the, the interesting part of what you said, though, was that he shot the ball so well because that is the knock on Trey Holloman coming out oh, of high yeah. school is that he's not yet a great shooter. But, you know, believe it or not, right up until maybe his senior year of high school, people were suspicious of Cassius Winston as a shooter, you know? He left Michigan State as one of the truly elite shooters in MSU history. So that can change over time. And I'm not suggesting that him hitting six threes in a money ball game says that Trey Holloman headed for that. But it does demonstrate that he may have some potential. I think he does have potential to get better and to develop more consistency. But getting back to that point you made about, well, how big of a role is available for him, I think it's there for the taking. I really do. Not not that I think he's going to be a starter, but I think MSU needs depth on the perimeter, and in part because of his length and his his strength, the way he's put together physically, I think there's a very good chance that MSU will feel comfortable running him out there in lineups with Hogard or Walker. Probably not just those three at one time because you'd be a little small. But um, any two of those three guys in combination, I absolutely think we will see. You know, we, we know that Tom Izzo, it takes a lot for him to play a guy more than 30 minutes a game. You've really got to be dynamite to be playing more than 30 minutes a game. So if nobody is doing that or just barely over that mark, there's still a lot of minutes available uh, that have to be taken by somebody. And I, I think if if Trey Holloman is as good defensively right away, and I know you didn't get any chance to really see that <laughs> because nobody's checking, but if he's as good defensively as I think he will be as a freshman, I think he's got every bit the same kind of defensive potential that a guy like Jade Nakins had. I really do. Um, if he checks, I think he's going to play some. I think, he'll, I think he's got a chance to maybe – play the kind of minutes that Jade Nakins did last year. It wouldn't shock me. So we'll yeah. see. That's, it's good to hear you were impressed with him. Um, the other two guys I wanted to I wanted to talk about are, again, new guys, as, as is Trey Holloman. Um, first, let's talk about Jackson Kohler. Now, I, have, I have heard absolute raves from people about Jackson Kohler. Uh, Jim Comperoni posted, I think it was 
was yesterday, maybe. Um, yeah. That Jackson Kohler, he said the same things I've been saying since MSU started recruiting him. This is the best, in my opinion. He is the most gifted offensive big man recruit since Zach Randolph at Michigan State. And and Jim basically said the same thing after watching him at Moneyball. Um, what did you think? He's he's a big he's a big guy. I mean he's he's all that height um, and he's solid. And especially comparing him to Carson Cooper, there's no question physically, you know, the difference between those two. And I think they're about the same height. Yeah, I, I'll say that he was, uh, I caught the tail end of that game. So I probably caught the last eight minutes of that game. And so he, I think he'd done most of his damage early in that game. Because right. when I got there, it was pretty much Tyson Walker just kind of doing, just driving lane. And he got in something with the other, one of the other opposing players. And they just were kind of going back and forth against each other, which, <laughs> you know, just like trying to dribble around each other. Uh, so I can't say a whole lot about Kohler, except he looked really good. The few times I saw him, he jacked up a three, I think, and like almost missed everything. But outside of that, uh, he just filled the lane. I, he had a couple blocks. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how you can evaluate as far as defense. And I feel like Moneyball, and I don't know, this is just my guess is it's a really hard place for a big guy to, uh, to look good because I think it's a lot of people just shooting threes and there's, you know, no permit. You're kind of exposed an island suddenly at down low. And so I think in some ways I, it's probably hard for those guys to, to look, to look at because the rebounds are long rebounds off the irons from, you know, eight feet yeah. behind three point line. Yeah, that that's all very true. Um, the other thing that Jim mentioned, I want to get your take on this is, and, and this was the impression I had, which is if true, it's a really good thing. And I think it's going to go a long way to helping him be competitive immediately the way MSU needs him to be. Did you notice, and you said you caught the tail end of the game, so maybe he was dragging a bit. I don't know. But Jim and, and others I've I've talked to have been very complimentary about his motor. Is that he just works. He runs the floor, not lazy. Did you see any evidence of that? Yeah, I mean, the, the guy looked really tired, but he just kept going. <clears throat> and I would say also, I think Jim maybe mentioned, but he was always calling for it down the way. He's always positioning himself down low to get – Capacity. Yeah. I th- and I don't know at that point of the game, they just weren't tossing into him much. But um, right. but he got, but he was always in position and you know really low the blocks and he could have gotten it. I'm sure most yeah. of those you can get it every possession if you wanted. But he uh, he was he's definitely working hard the whole game. I mean he didn't look like he was taking any possessions off, except in defense. But then everyone does. <laughs> I think I think that you know obviously the big question with Jackson is at what level does he defend? Because I think that's going to be the key to how much you play him or how much you want to play him maybe is a better way of putting it. They might have to play him more than they want to. Um, But if his work ethic is as good as I've heard it is, and now we're seeing people around East Lansing confirming it, uh, that to me is a great sign because even if there are some physical limitations, if maybe his his footwork isn't quite there yet defensively in terms of his ability to play pick and roll defense, man, you can still overcome a lot of things if your effort is at top level consistently. And, and so that's all really encouraging to hear. It's, it's part of what's got me feeling more optimistic the further we go that MSU is going to be okay at that spot. Cause again, I've never had a doubt about him offensively. I think you can drop him into the big 10 as a freshman. And if he play, if he gets 
20 minutes, he's going to be a double-digit scorer. Uh, it, it, because when MSU's playing, there aren't going to be those problems that you saw about him posting hard and not getting the ball. That's <laughs> right. happening. So he, if he plays 20 minutes a game, I will guarantee it. He will be a double-digit scorer. The question is, can he do enough of the other things to get that much playing time? But I think so far, so good. And then the, the mystery man, the, the late addition to Michigan class, Carson Cooper, just to remind people, 6'11", um, maybe needs to, to add a little weight and strength. Um, originally from Jackson, he started his high school career at Jackson Northwest, ended up through a cup. He played at the ill-fated Ipsy Prep uh, Imani Bates program for a year. Uh, and then he ended up at IMG in Florida last year. I have heard consistently good things about Carson Cooper, especially defensively and in terms of his effort and maybe some surprising toughness and scrappiness, despite the fact that he's not yet a super strong kid uh, to the point that I'm now pretty convinced that red shirt that they talked about probably isn't going to happen. So what'd you see? And, and again, we put the caveats out there. It's money ball doesn't mean that much, but I'm, I'm interested in what you saw. I think the first thing to point, there were actually other D one schools there who were playing. He's, he's playing against the stars, I think for Eastern Michigan. Uh, okay. And I can't Yusuf is maybe the guy's name. I can't remember big, tall, uh, lanky kid. Apparently gave Marty Sissoko a tough time the next game after the one you saw the next, whatever the next day right. was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Cooper, I mean, he played really hard. He didn't look like he was outclassed at all. He didn't score a ton. He didn't really, he had a, a number of rebounds and, but uh, I wouldn't say that he, he didn't look like he was a stick. So he didn't look like he was out physical yeah. down low. And he's seemed, I, I would tell you after watching him and then also watching Maddie, I, I have a hard time seeing Maddie Sissoko not being the number three in the depth chart. You, you wouldn't have a hard time. I wouldn't time. be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, and I don't think right away, but I wonder if by the end of the season it, it pans out the way. Unless Maddie really starts improving. He just, uh, boy, I mean, you like the guy who's just fights hard, but he just seems like he's, um, I don't know, just he just always a, a touch just late to getting to plays and reacting. And I know Jim kind of mentioned that in his piece too when he's talking about Maddie Sissoko, but He's got all the physical tools. I mean, he just athletically, there's no question. And he had a number of, you know, spectacular blocks, uh, but he just, he just is not very skilled inside scoring, which I was surprised. But another, again, like you mentioned, there's some taller players he's going up against, but uh, he just, he doesn't have great hands or anticipation, at least when people are, are passing. And I, I want to say, I have to, again, I have to look, I thought it was, was Hogard was on his team. But and would feed him, and he just wouldn't be ready for it because uh, I know yeah. he was trying. To, and and I don't know. I mean, I watched a lot of those plays. I'm like, oh, that'd be. I can just see that in a break happening where you know bounce off his hands out of bounds or something like that. And you know that is it's a weird pickup game, and so maybe that's a different situation. But I just felt like I don't know. And it, maybe he'd had a bunch of practices that he was just more tired for other reasons. But and, and he looks super thing. impressive. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing you can't you can't really tell. Um, I, I what how much gas do they have left in the tank after, after workouts? Um, I think with big kids, the, the thing, especially somebody like Marty that hasn't played a ton of basketball, um, you do have to be careful in terms of 
shutting down the possibility of the light turning on too early. Uh, and, and I don't worry about it because Tom Izzo is not going to do that, but the fans do. And <laughs> I think that, um, I think that the point that you make applies to all three of these guys at the five spot, which is where they are now. And even where they are at the beginning of the season in early mid November is not necessarily where they're going to be in March. And people need to keep that in mind. And I think there is a distinct possibility that we will see a changing in roles among those guys from November to March. You might well be right. Uh, Carson Cooper, to me, every the, the, the all the clips, and I, again, I will freely admit to the limitation <laughs> of clips, but all the clips plus the stuff that I've heard I don't see a guy who get, there have been lots of guys at Michigan state, big men who as freshmen, you just kind of knew, Hey, they're not ready. That's not what this guy looks like to me. Now ready can have a lot of definition. Is he ready to give you like eight minutes a night, kind of hold the fort down when you've got some foul trouble or you need to get somebody a blow or does ready mean, Hey, he could play 15 good minutes a night. I don't know. Um, but to me, he looks like a guy who has a chance to be to have rapid improvement rather than kind of a slow improvement you saw from somebody like Marcus Bainham, for example. One of the things I've really liked about him in, in reading about him and, and having a couple conversations with other people about him is that you know he has a soccer background. I don't know if all our listeners know that. He played like travel soccer at a decently high level up until the point, I believe he started at Ipsy Prep. So his first two years of high school, he did that. Um, he was a goalkeeper. Now, the nice <laughs> thing about that is if you're a goalkeeper, there's an imperative on lateral ability to move laterally. Like that's the most important thing, I think. Um, that could very well translate. And when I've seen him, the bits that I've seen of him, I've been very impressed with the way he moved for a guy his size. Did you see any evidence? I don't mean lateral movement because you're not seeing that, but just the way he moved around the court. Did it look impressive for a kid his size? Because I feel like what I've seen, it, it does. He didn't look like someone who was stumbling over his feet. He didn't look like he was struggling, <clears throat> like being beaten. Uh, I, I don't. He didn't look slow. And I would even say the same thing about Kohler. He didn't really look that slow. He didn't look right. you know, speedy. I feel very confident in the five spot this year, much more so than I did probably before. I mean, I was hopeful that Kohler and Cart and Cooper would be good additions. I think I agree with you though. There's no chance. I think Cooper red shirts, he's going to play because yeah. I think they're going to have to. Uh, and I, you know, maybe whether that means Joey plays five minutes, of the five occasionally, you know, depending on sort of the circumstances and the matchups and what they were trying to get. I think we could see that too, but I don't think that Cooper is a guy who looks like he's, um, that he's not ready to play a couple minutes. And so I think right now you, you could probably feel confident. Could, he could easily play five to 10 minutes and you wouldn't think like you're just giving up a ton. Whereas I think in some ways, like last year when Maddie Sissoka came out, you felt like you're just praying he just survives the next five to yeah. 10 minutes. And I don't think Cooper's, I think he's a little bit further beyond that. And the one thing about him, I mean, and I would say this also about Sissoko is if those guys just kind of figure out how the defense runs and I would expect Cooper to understand it right now. Cause he just came to join the team. 
but like, you know, that may be, that's half the light going on, right? Like once you kind of know where that your help and how, and how to defend without, it's sort of like a uh, lots of jobs. You have to put maximum effort the first time you do something like you first learn how to drive a car, you have your, your hands, you get rigor mortis, in your fingers and everything. And then once you figure out where you're supposed to be, you can conserve a lot of energy because you know exactly, you can anticipate things. Right. And I think, I think, you know, Sissoko is not there, but it's to his, I guess, uh, in his defense, I mean, he's had barely barely any time on the floor. So, you would hope that he would get that picked it up this year in the before the Big Ten season starts in by in January. And I think Cooper might be behind him, but I think he at least has the tools that he could be successful. And to Kohler's point, I you know I don't know about that, but I think it, same thing. I think it's the hardest thing is just because guys just figuring out the defense and how to where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you know, I I'm I've thought more about what this season may look like I've not so much, not with Jackson Kohler, because I think he's a different player. He's a guy you can utilize a lot offensively. You can even play through at times. And I think they will, but um, with the other two guys, I go back to, to reference one of our recent uh, what if episodes. I do think a lot. I found myself thinking a lot about how Michigan state played in 85, 86, they Barry Fordham as their center. And that was an era when kind of like the current Big Ten, where there were a lot of big, big, big guys at the five spot in the Big Ten. Size was not out of fashion. And Barry Fordham was six eight, maybe six nine. Not not weak, but not a particularly strong guy. But and was never really much of an offensive player. But he figured out how to defend and how to rebound well enough that he wasn't hurting the team. He was helping the team and they needed a guy to do that. And then the rest of the guys around him were all much, much more skilled offensively. And so they had enough offense. They didn't need offense from him. I think in, in certain ways, this team could line up in a similar fashion. I think there's the potential that they will have a lot of guys who can do damage offensively. You know, we need to see it all come to fruition, but we have seen, I'd say, much more than flashes, just not quite as consistent as we'd like. But we have seen very good offensive play from Joey Hauser, from Malik Hall, A.J. Hogarth, Tyson Walker, uh, Jade Nakins. All those guys have done it. And I think we will likely see more consistency from all of them as they continue to mature. And then you add in younger guys, too, like Pierre Brooks and, and maybe Trey Holloman, who I think can also contribute offensively. I don't know that Michigan state needs offensive production from those other two guys, what they need from them and what will make this team sink or swim at the five is if MSU gets enough defensively and rebounding wise from those positions. And so there may be different challenges with those two guys with Mati Sissoko I know Mati Sissoko can rebound, and I know he can block shots. I don't know if he can do that stuff without fouling once every minute. Right. He's got to be able to do that. With Carson Cooper, it's, all right, the physical tools seem to be there. How fast does he adjust to the, the speed of the game? Um, is his scrappiness maybe enough to overcome the fact that he's not yet quite as strong as he will be down the line. You know, there are different questions for both those guys, but it basically lands in the same spot ultimately, which is can they get enough defensively and on the boards from 
from that spot from those two guys when they're out there and then whatever role whatever minutes Kohler is earning uh, you know offensively he's he's going to be there it's a question of how well does he defend but to me that's the whole thing comes down to at the five do you get enough defense do you get enough rebounding at the five if you do I think you're in great shape and I feel more confident about that even than I did in say May um based on the things that I've heard and, and based on the fact that you know, I've already been told this by people who are far better positioned than I am to know. Uh, but you don't even have to be told this by anybody. You know, by virtue of what Michigan State did or did not do, Tom Izzo believes that they can they can get it done because he didn't make it a priority to go out and get a five man in the portal. He didn't do it. Now you may think he's crazy, you may think he's wrong, but I think it's pretty evident that he believes that because he didn't go try to get someone. So we'll, we'll see how, how all of that ends up playing out. But I think there is some reason for optimism on, on those fronts that Michigan state can in fact get it done at that position. Yeah. The question will be, like you said, it's going to be defensive and defensive rebounding and, and that we can't know until they actually get into the season and actual gameplay and to see how those yeah. guys can perform. And, and you know, look, you know, there there are people who will say, okay, but what do you do against Hunter Dickinson? What do you do against uh, Zach Eady? Okay, but but that <laughs> but that's a problem. That's a problem. You know, no matter what you've got, even if you've got guys that are similar size, you've still got to deal with those players. And and I don't honestly think that it's a big enough problem consistently around the league. Um, that it, it doesn't terrify those individual matchups. Yeah. They're going to be challenging, but you know, Michigan state beat Purdue last year and they beat, they split with Michigan. So those guys didn't exactly destroy them. I mean, Dickinson had a one great game. I'll give him that in Ann Arbor, but um, you know, the, the game at Breslin happened too. Yeah. And you could say, well, MSU had Marcus Bainham, but Marcus Bainham really didn't do a lot in those games. So I, we'll see. I mean, there are certainly challenges that are presented. I'm not suggesting that it's a mortal lock that MSU is just fine there, but I know that the coaching staff believes that they are. I know that. I think- I think they'll be more than serviceable. I think they'll be, I think we're not going to, I think there's, it's always going to be a challenge during the games and matchup specific, but I don't think we're going to see this as a giant black hole in the, in the team that were, boy, we should have gotten two people in the portal. This has just been a complete disaster outside of, you know, crazy injuries can happen, I suppose. There's, there's one, there's one other point here. Cause we're going to be, we're going to be shifting gears to recruiting in a second, but th- there's something that I really started thinking about today, honestly, as I was looking over the notes and I don't know this, I haven't heard this from anybody, but when I add it up and I see what Michigan state is doing in their high school recruiting, what I am seeing as we, as we talk through this, you are primarily seeing guys at the one there, believe it or not, despite all the point guards they've already got now or slate soon enough, they are still recruiting a boatload of guys who can play the point as we'll talk about. Um, they just added two five men in this year's freshman class and Kohler and Cooper. I think 
what it suggests is that Tom Izzo really wants to have high school guys, guys he's recruited from high school at those spots. And if you think about the importance, it makes some sense because I, you know, obviously they added Tyson Walker as a transfer last year, but that is not the ideal for Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo does not want to be, he doesn't want to be doing what Juwan Howard is doing. He's dipping <laughs> yeah. the transfer portal every year for a point guard and, and losing the, the high school guys you recruit as they did with Frankie Collins. He does not want to be in that position. And I think it also probably applies at the five, maybe for somewhat similar reasons. What the two positions share is that I think they probably require the most work mentally to be ready to play the way Tom Izzo wants his teams and the guys at those positions to play. And I suspect, and again, this is all, I'll stress this, this is only my suspicion, but I suspect that what may be going on is he feels as if I'd rather take my chances with somebody that I like out of high school and that I've got some time to work with and mold and get to the level that I need them to be rather than bringing in somebody from another program and getting a one-shot deal with them. I think yeah. that may be at work. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, but man, when I look at how they're recruiting, not just in 2023, but 24 and 25, which we'll, we'll talk about all three of those years. Um, it is remarkable the prevalence of guys who can play the point. There aren't a lot of five men, but I think that's because they're still really young at that spot. You know, two freshmen and Bonifoco is going to be a junior, but he could play another. He could have three more years counting this next one potentially. So there may be something to it. We'll have, we'll have to see. Um, but in any event, so that, well, that's, that's all encouraging stuff. Uh, in terms of what you saw, I think, you know, with some caveats in there, things that we'll, we'll watch for with Marty, uh, maybe with AJ shooting. But I, I, you know, going back to AJ for a second, I have heard from people who have seen multiple games that he has actually shot the ball really well. Now, there have been times where that's happened in Moneyball and it has not translated. <laughs> Tum Tum, right? Yeah. It remains to be seen. But yeah. I'll tell you what if AJ Hogard could shoot 33% from three, it, it changes things for him. And he's already pretty good getting to the rim. But, man, if he is that reliable of a shooting threat, it is going to further change how people have to defend him. And then it's going to be very difficult for opposing teams to deal with him. So I want to go back, back a little bit, just one second. So do you kind of look at Tom Izzo, the way he coaches in his offense and defense, and that maybe this is always the case, but – the most important sort of cerebral positions on offense are the point guards because they can see everywhere everyone is. But likewise on defense, it's the, it's your five guy, the guy who sees and is the one who who sort of directs traffic. I felt like with Tillman, that was definitely his role. I think that that has become the case, not just at Michigan State, but I think it's true in a lot of places. I, I would almost say throughout basketball for, for this reason. Pick and roll has become so dominant in terms of 
the way teams play offense, that you are constantly dealing with the necessity for a five-man to be able to switch. You, you hear it talked about, especially in the NBA, but even in college a lot, that switchability is such a key component of your team. Well, the guy who's likely to have the most difficulty with being able to switch your biggest player. So if you can find that, like MSU had with Xavier Tillman, and, and really even to give him credit, you know, Marcus Bainham made real strides over his career. He wasn't perfect, but last year he was pretty solid in terms of his ability to handle switches. Uh, you need to be able to do that if you want to be an optimal defensive team. The problem that teams like Michigan and Purdue had last year defensively to bring up two, two guys we just referenced, for all the good that Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson do on the offensive end because they're huge and they've got good touch, and they understand how to get themselves in positions to score, et cetera, for all the good those guys do, they cannot move defensively. And so if you can get them in pick and rolls and you can force switches – they're done. Their defense at that point amounts to hoping that a guy misses, <laughs> which is not where you want to be. So it's not, you know, it was, and look, that was a problem, not just with Edie, but also Trevion Williams couldn't do it either. Um, that ultimately is what stopped a Purdue team that in my mind should have been a final four level team from getting to that level because Opposing teams were really able to turn their deficiency at the five, not just the five, but especially the five. They were able to turn that, in my opinion, into a really manifest weakness for Purdue defensively. I, I go back to the, the game-winning play at Breslin. Michigan State played them. They get Trevion Williams in a switch with, uh, with uh, Tyson Walker, and he takes him, uses yeah. the dribble quickness to get enough space now he could have missed the shot you know and then we go i think it was a tie game so i think we would have gone overtime um but the point is tyson walker was able to get a clean look at the basket which is all you really can ask for in that situation and he hit it and you know that happens a lot to those teams or happened a lot to those teams last year it happened a lot to illinois with kofi coburn you know they really struggled at times when he had to, to defend in switches. So I think it's really important that your five man be able to do it, but, but quote unquote, being able to do it means two things. They need physical tools. They got to be able to move, you know, and then they've got to be aware enough, smart enough, have enough of an understanding of your principles to be able to, to be able to guard effectively. You know, a, a guy like Hunter Dickinson might actually understand what's needed but his wheels are bad he can't move well enough to do it so you, you need both um so i do think it's i don't know if Izzo would say it's the most important position defensively but he might and if it's if it's not it's right up at the top sure and obviously to, and rebounding which is key with defense too you got to end the possession with, with a and yeah. your five uh, is your guys most likely to get the rebound of, over anybody else if if michigan state could, if you told me one thing can change last from last year to this year to make them a better defensive team, by a long shot, I would say 
they need to rebound the ball better defensively. If they can do that much, and that's not just on those guys at the five. That's on Hauser, Hall, all the perimeter guys. They're a big, big part of it, bigger than a lot of people realize. They always kind of focus on the big men, but oftentimes it is not down to the big man when you have those deficiencies. It's that your guards didn't take care of business. Your foreman didn't do it, you know? If Michigan State can can be better in that area, they will be better defensively, no question, just by improving that area. And I, I hope and think that's possible. Well, let's talk about our uh, commits and then what's going on in the recruiting scene, I guess, for, for State. Uh, we have one commit right now coming for the 2023 class. is Jeremy Fears, a 6'1 point guard. And he was recently in, playing internationally and had a great series where he was playing uh, with the U-17 team, uh, won a gold medal for the United States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I want to be careful in how far I go with this, but I really liked the Jeremy Fears commitment when they got him. You know, a highly ranked guy, plays a high level at prep school. He plays at uh, Lalu in Indiana. Uh, I got to see him on television a handful of times last season, and – he looked the part to me. I liked, I liked the way he looked defensively. He ran his team. He seemed to be a true leader. Um, looked solid athletically. The one question mark with him, we talked about with Trey Holloman, same thing with Jeremy Fears, jump shooting. and said, okay, he's got to get to be a better shooter. But I really liked what they had. Since then, I think his game has continued to grow and grow to the point I, I almost have to check myself to say to not go as far as I find myself wanting to in terms of what I think expectations could be around him. He is a unique guy. Uh, the most encouraging thing to me is that he plays better, the better talent he's surrounded by. So he played for this U.S. under-17 team. That's a national team. He's been part of USA basketball for years. And there were more uh, hyped guys on that team than Jeremy Fears, even at his position. Um, there's a kid named uh, DJ Wagner, whose um, father and grandfather are names a lot of longtime basketball fans know. His father is a guy named Juan Wagner, who was ultra hyped as a high school player, had a brief NBA career, didn't make it. His grandfather was Milt Wagner who was on a national championship team at Louisville, also was an NBA player. DJ Wagner is seen by some people as the best player in the country in the 2023 class. He was not the best point guard on this team. Jeremy Fierce was. And that was measured by who was starting as things went on, minutes played, and especially when it mattered most, production. So, he played starters minutes. He was tied for fourth on the team, led the team in assists at 4.4 a game. He was fifth in scoring at 9.9 a game on 49, 38, 75 shooting. Now, they didn't play that many games. So that 38% on three, I don't want to take that too far, but that's a, that's a good number. That's an encouraging number because that's the one weakness. Um the thing I really liked, though, was he was at his best when it mattered most. So in both the semifinal against Lithuania and the championship game against Spain, he led the U.S. team in scoring. He had 18 against Lithuania, 
17 against Spain. He also had six assists in the game against Spain. So he was at his best when his team needed him to be at his best. If you saw any of the games or if you saw clips from this thing, another thing you would have seen is Jeremy Fears frequently applying a one-man press. He would pick up his guy full court and harass the shit out of him and forced a lot of turnovers that way that I saw. Uh, I didn't see official stats and steals, but he had to have led the team in steals. Um, that tracks with what I had seen from him and what his rep is. I think he's got a chance to be an elite defender. I think he is a natural point guard. He is very effective going to the rim and finishing. He's a strong kid, even though he's like 6'1". He's not the biggest guy, but he's strong. And if the shot comes, it's over. I mean, look out. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing you might like the best about him is the intangible stuff. He is clearly a leader and a winner. I mean, he was on a team where I didn't check the rankings of every, he might've been the lowest guy ranked in the consensus rankings on this roster. And, and he's still a top 50 guy, but you know, you're talking about sure, a leader. Yeah. Um, but he was arguably the best player on the team. And clearly one of the two or three most important without any question. So what does that tell you? Well, that tells you he elevates his play when he's surrounded by better talent, which is, boy, something you really want in a point guard. And he has that kind of DNA you want as a competitor and a leader. And his team won the gold. So, you know, that's we always talk about point guards. It's kind of akin to quarterbacks in football. You measure them on a lot of things, but one of the things you measure by is how often do their teams win? Well, his teams win a lot. So I think you have to be really, really, really excited about his commitment if you're a Michigan State fan. I don't know where his career is going to end up. It's way too early to say. I, I will say this, and then we can move on talking about other guys. Um, I'm not saying he is this guy, but if you lined up all the point guards of the Izzo era and hell, throw in the Heathcote era too. So all the guys I've ever seen and say, who is Jeremy fears most like I would say Mateen Cleaves. Um, oh, one more thing on that front. The other thing that was evident in that world cup event is that I thought he was a very good athlete. He had a couple of moments where he looked better than that. I mean, dunks that I didn't think he had in him. So you put all these things together, the physical tools, the skill set, the mindset, and then the intangibles as a leader and a competitor and a winner, man, uh, Michigan State is in great shape at that position. That That's the bottom line. So what you're saying is Izzo's struggling recruiting is what you're saying right now. Yeah. He's really struggling. <laughs> Uh, so let's uh, look at this was oh, just just one more thing on fears, you know, and, and I don't know how serious this is or isn't, but he's an Illinois kid. He's from Joliet, Illinois. And late in his recruitment, supposedly the word was that he wanted to commit to Illinois, but they backed off because they weren't sold on his shooting. And fair enough in this sense, I think if you're going to look at his game, that is the one thing you would focus on and say, yeah, he could stand to be 
a more consistent jump shooter. I don't think his form looks bad. I just, he hasn't gotten the results that you ideally want. Uh, but the funniest thing to me, besides the fact that a weakness like that can be made uh, irrelevant if you're good enough in all the other areas, as I think he is. But the funniest thing to me was when I heard this, I thought, wait a minute. They're trying to sell Andre Corbello as an All-American. Who are they guys? I'd be willing to bet the house right now that Jeremy Fears doesn't have a college season where he's a sub-20% three-point shooter. You know, I can think of a guy who played point guard a couple of years at Illinois who was. So anyway. Well, let's look at the offers and for the, also other players in the 2023 class. The one who everyone is talking about all the time is Xavier Booker, 6'11", post player from Indianapolis, who uh, announced his, he's going to announce his top schools in about a week from now, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's important, despite his size, to know I – firmly 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 believe Xavier Booker will be a four man not a five and I say that because of the way he plays when you see him yes he's capable of of doing some things in the post but offensively he's a guy who can stretch the floor can take people off the dribble facing up I think he's going to be a four man certainly if he's at Michigan State he is going to be a four uh, and that's where Michigan State needs bodies because the two guys who are likely to be gone off that post group after this season are Malik Hall and Joey Hauser. Hauser for sure will be Hall, maybe, maybe not. But at this point, you you can't assume he'll be back. So they need they need somebody there. Uh, he's set to announce his top schools list. Um, I guess a week from today, right? Uh, we're recording this on July 18th, so July 25th. He has rocketed up the rankings in the last three, four months. He's gone from being a guy who wasn't even in top 100 lists by everybody to the point that pretty much everyone now has him as a top 10. And, you know, some of our listeners may have followed this story. There's a guy named Gigi Jackson who has been the number one guy in this class for a while. And he'd been committed to North Carolina. Uh, since I think since earlier this year and he decommitted late last week. And originally the word was he was going to, he was going to, I think he was from South Carolina. He was going to stay at home, play for South Carolina instead and reclassify into this year. But more recently I've seen suggestion that he's going to go the pro route, I think with G league ignite. Um, so if that happens, there's a chance Xavier Booker could end up the number one guy, at least in some rankings. He's he's in position to maybe do that. So that that gives you a sense of what he is. Now, he's not yet necessarily a fully finished product. I Whenever I see clips of him and I read evaluations of him, I always find myself going back in my mind to another Indianapolis area kid who was a similar size, had some similarities in his game, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron had a lot of the same criticisms heading into his final AAU season, and he wasn't a guy who was a top 10 guy nationally at that point. People said he isn't tough enough, he doesn't rebound well enough, um, there are questions about how physical he wants to be, blah, blah, blah. Through the course of that AAU season, he just obliterated all that stuff. And he ended up becoming a top 10, even a top five recruit. Booker 
hasn't done it the same way because there's still some questions about him, how badly he wants to rebound, how tough-minded he is. But he's been so good in terms of the way he shot the ball, the way he runs the floor, the way he handles it, just all the offensive stuff. And then the fact that he's got a wingspan, he can give you rim protection, so he's going to be able probably to contribute pretty nicely defensively as well, um, that he has had a similar rise in terms of how he's perceived. Now, Michigan State got in on him early, and there was a sense for a while that it was kind of inevitable that he was going to end up at Michigan State, and then the rocket rise to the top of the rankings <laughs> started. And all of a sudden, you know, all these other national schools coming in, it had primarily been an upper Midwest slash Big Ten recruitment. So Michigan State, Ohio State, Indiana, Purdue is the home state schools, Notre Dame, Xavier was in the mix. Now you had Duke, Gonzaga, and Kansas offering him. But here's the interesting thing. In the last couple of live weekends where coaches could go out and see kids, the schools that have been 3D, you know, the head coach and two assistants watching him, have been Michigan State, Indiana, and Notre Dame. Duke, Gonzaga, Kansas haven't even been sending one guy. So – I am very skeptical as to how involved those programs are ultimately going to be. Now he's going to announce this top schools list. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a top 10. So it's Duke going to be on it. Yeah. Cause it, it helps with all the, and, and again, I'm not ruling out Duke could decide to turn up the heat, you know, cans, whatever it could change. But right now, if you're paying attention to that stuff, the message that I'm getting from that is those schools have said, you know what, we're probably too late on this. Whatever's being said publicly, that's why. Because if you're not showing up, I don't know how seriously you're expressing interest. Now, he could still end up taking visits. You know, that, that could happen. But right now, I think it's Michigan State and Indiana. And I think Michigan State is the favorite. That's my sense. And I think they're going to get them. And I don't know when that's going to be, but I think they are going to get them. And I think there's a perfect spot for him to walk into. Because if you do lose Hauser and you do lose Hall, while Michigan State needs somebody to play the four, you will now have a group of, of three guys at the five, if they're all back, who have got a year under their belt, in Madi's case, more than a year, so you're solid there, but and 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 that also means he can be reasonably assured. Well, they're not going to shoehorn me into playing the five, right? So it makes a lot of sense from that perspective. At Michigan State, from everything I have heard, has pitched a near perfect game in this. And the kid himself has said his deepest relationship has been with Izzo. In part, I think it's been the longest. So you never know. The home state schools, Indiana has been putting on a full court press too. Maybe that ends up having an impact as we go. But right now, I, I don't think it's any different than it's been. It's there's been a, new names introduced and all that, but I don't think the bottom line is any different. So I'm, I'm very optimistic on that one. 
Well, that's super exciting. And yeah, you definitely can see that they're going to have a, a real need there. And you, boy, you could walk right in and get a lot of minutes of play, which is exactly what you want if you're a, a, yeah. a skilled It's skilled a very situation to what Jaron Jackson had, you know, right. except, except then it, it, Michigan State didn't have, you know, Xavier Booker's got a clearer path than Jaron had, you know. But yeah, I think it could play out the same way where he could be in a big role right away. All right. The other offer out is for Devin Royal. He's a six, seven, a three or four guy. Uh, and he's, uh, from Ohio and Columbus. And I, you know, I, I, it sounds like it was kind of Michigan state, Ohio state is pretty much what it sounded like for quite a while now. Yeah. You, you know, it's interesting. I, I saw on the Spartan mag board today, um, Paul Conondike, uh, was, was talking about the fact that he had heard earlier this spring that really he wasn't, all that enamored with Ohio state and that Penn state had actually done a really good job recruiting him. Uh, Michigan state, clearly they got in a little later than some of these other schools, but immediately they were on him hard. He visited very quickly and it's clear Michigan state is in, uh, he announced, uh, I think it was a top nine tonight. Do you want me to read it real quick? Sure. I mean, yeah, he put on a Twitter. So, and it's alphabetical order. He's smart, right? Yeah. <laughs> so right. Alabama, Clemson, Marquette, Michigan, Miami, Michigan State, Ole Miss, Ohio State, and Penn State. Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. That's who you should take seriously. Um, the rest of it is probably, I mean, you can never say for sure, but probably window dressing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, he plays, again, he's a Columbus area kid. Um, he plays for all Ohio red, which is the preeminent AAU team in that state. Uh, there there's good news there for Michigan state. Michigan state has a great relationship with that AAU program. And so that provides an immediate, and they've had a ton of guys, Nick Ward, Travis Walt, Foster Lawyer, Thomas Kithier. I, I was trying to remember earlier this evening if Raymar Morgan played for them. I can't remember for sure. Who's actually a guy Royal reminds me of a little bit. Um, but they've had a lot of guys from that AAU program who played at Michigan State. So Michigan State has a very good relationship with them, and that helps. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, the Big Ten footprint guy helps. Michigan State, although they haven't had a lot of Ohio guys real recently, I think Ward was the last one. Um, that's a state that has been very important to MSU, MSU basketball, and, and so I don't. I think that I think they're in it. Where they stand, you know, who knows? You hear different things, but I, I definitely think Michigan State's got a shot at them, a legitimate shot. And, you know, that that's another one. Looks like it may be a little while. That, that might go into the fall. I with, with both he and Booker, I guess I'd be kind of surprised if it went all the way to spring. There's just not a lot of guys doing that as much anymore. That seems to have slowed down. And both of their recruitments seem to be advanced enough now that I, I don't see the reason for it. But I do like him. I think he's another guy that, you know, there's a need for someone with his profile because if you look at MSU's roster, the way it's shaping up, you know, if Hall leaves and Hauser leaves, well, again, you've got th these minutes at the four, but you also don't have much size at, at on the wing. You've got Pierre Brooks, and that's kind of it. So they could use another guy. You know, this season, I think Malik Hall's going to play that role. But if they don't have Malik Hall, 
they could use another guy. And I think Devin Royal can fit in at either of those spots or both. So again, I think there's an opportunity for him to get minutes early at MSU. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting to me and I'll bring it up with regard to him, uh, but it's, it's popped up Michigan state in the Thad Mata era seemed to be going head to head with Ohio state a lot for recruits. I mean, uh, Delvon Rowe, Raymar Morgan, uh, a lot of Travis Walton, a lot of guys, Nick Ward, a lot of guys, Michigan state got, and, and guys, Ohio state got that MSU recruited. I remember MSU really wanted William Buford from out of Toledo. Um, and Ohio state got him. There were, there were other guys over there. Adrian Payne was a guy MSU got that Ohio state wanted. So, they were going head-to-head a lot. That has not been the case lately. Chris Holtman has just recruited very differently. Like, you know, they got Dwayne Washington, a Michigan kid, but they got him because MSU didn't offer him. He, he visited MSU more than any unoffered kid I've ever seen. He was at Breslin constantly his sophomore and junior years, and MSU just never offered. Um, all of a sudden, they're in on a lot of the same kids. Ohio State is theoretically in on Xavier Booker. Not really. I believe they recruited Jeremy Fears. Devin Royal, they're absolutely going head-to-head. Maybe they're the top two. I don't know. Um, and we'll talk about a few other guys that uh, both in this class and in the classes to come. So it seems like after a lull of a few years, we may be seeing Michigan State-Ohio State duels again, the way we used to maybe 10 years ago. I would point out too, when you look at the, the current roster and you look at the decision by Izzo not to go after a transfer and the five, you see a lot more room in the, in the, in the ability to recruit. Like if you got all three of these players, you could definitely see all of them having impact and playing significant minutes next season. Whereas if you bring another person in, you're going to, again, it's just going to, it's going to be, you're not going to have as many scholarship spots. It's going to affect your recruiting downstream. So I, I don't think. I think there are other reasons that you might not want to bring in a transfer like this summer for Izzo. And I think this would be one reason, right? You have a little bit more flexibility with your roster, a little bit more ability to get these high school kids you really like who are, and you, that you think you have a real good chance at. So there may be more, there may be more than just the immediate need for this, this season when you're looking downstream, yep. right? I think you've always well, got to be building as Izzo, right? You've got to always start planning where the, where the parts are going. And I think, and I think that these three guys we've talked about all kind of sit, in different spots in terms of how you would project going forward. So Booker pretty clearly looks like a one and done candidate, you know? So if you bring him in, you know that, okay, this is probably a one year deal, but he's got enough tools that he's worth it. Um, Royal to me does not look like a short-term guy. To me, Devin Royal is a guy who's probably a three or four year player. Um, and, and I could be proven wrong by that, but um, with that, but I think that's likely. Fears is one that when they signed him, I thought, well, yeah, that's a long-term guy. Maybe not. I mean, he's it, the size works against him, but man, he's been good. And again, if he could tighten up that shot, you don't know. I would bet heavily against the one and done, but I don't know if I'm quite convinced it'll be four. Um, so they all are kind of look like they're in different spots and that matters too, but 
all of the stuff we're talking about goes back to something we spent some time discussing in the spring when we were talking about the transfer portal. And Izzo has said it repeatedly. The days of 13 scholarship guys are, at least in East Lansing, are probably over. You know? Um, and so your point about not adding portal guys and maybe especially portal guys who have more than one year to play. So they really do impact your downstream roster assembly. Um, that matters. And to get these guys, these high level players, you probably need to be able to offer them significant roles, you know, especially, you know, maybe you get away with it a little more in Michigan. So a kid like Carson Cooper, obviously, isn't expected, but even, even somebody like Pierre Brooks, who was a Mr. Basketball winner, you know, he, he stuck around despite not playing a lot as a freshman, but he's a Michigan kid. So it means a little something different. These other guys are all upper Midwest guys. So maybe they're closer to that than I'm assuming, but it's, it's a factor. So you want to be able to offer them at least a really, really good chance to play a significant role. Well, then let's look, I guess, at one other possible offer, Jordan Burks, who's a 6'9 forward from Alabama with a super long <laughs> wingspan, 7'1, and he plays in Florida for at a prep school. Yeah, MSU has not offered yet, but the word is they're really close to doing so. Izzo has gone down to Florida to see him work out. Um, the sense I get, and, and this is fairly new information like over the last day or two if they do they're very much in the mix uh schools like florida texas tech old miss mississippi state are right now at the top of his group but if msu offers they're they're in there firmly so he's definitely a name to watch uh it'll be interesting to see what they do because again while i don't think booker and royal are going to go till spring I don't know how quickly they could go to October. They could go to November. So what does MSU do with a kid like Jordan Burks? Do they offer him soon and put themselves in it? I, I think, and the interesting thing about him is that he's sort of a mix of those other two guys. His wingspan gives you, you know, elements of what Booker can provide as a rim protector. But what's interesting about him is he's had a, a growth spurt in the last year or so. He was more like six five a year, year and a half ago, and he's six nine now. So he's actually got, from what I understand and clips I've seen, um, he's got some perimeter game to him. He's not just strictly a big man by any means. So he's an interesting name, and I, I do think you're probably, with some recent one recent decision in particular that came down, it wouldn't surprise me if Burks does get an offer. Um, and they'll take their chances with him. But that's a name to watch over the, the short term to see what MSU does. It's interesting that Alabama's not on his list, I mean, but, you know, because he's an Alabama kid. But because everyone talks about how great Nate Oates is and uh, how he's, you know, changed changed Alabama basketball. It's, but I, could, <laughs> I guess it could be just – it could just be a matter of just their, their numbers too, right? I don't know what their roster construction is. For Alabama? Um, yeah. Yeah. I – Changing basketball. Yeah. They had a great year, Alabama. They had a lot of hype. Didn't have a great year. Um, 
Well, we'll go on to um, some people who are in, in the mix initially. We'll just briefly mention the names. Uh, there's uh, Mylon uh, Momsilovich, who's a 6'8 forward from Wisconsin. Uh, he decided to commit to Iowa State, which is actually not surprising. I would say it's not surprising. I know people here in Michigan don't understand. I lived in Iowa for a while. Iowa, Wisconsin, they're actually very close. I mean, obviously geographically, but there's a lot of that Iowa State's region and their reach is actually deeper into Wisconsin than you might probably than even Michigan states in some ways. Um, here, here's the thing. MSU got in relatively late. They didn't get in fully until May. So they were late to the party. Iowa state had offered him and recruited him hard for a long time. Virginia had been in there too longer than MSU. Um, MSU got into it. I mean, they got an official from him. They were very strongly considered. I have seen it mentioned. I don't know how much veracity there is to this, but that, that MSU finished number two, which doesn't really matter very much. But, um, you know, he's he's a guy that I a lot of people like him. He's nationally a top 50 guy. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm going to end up regretting losing that one. And here's why. The weaknesses, the things that get talked about with him, very skilled guy, good jump shooter, um, capable off the dribble too. So offensively, he's a skilled player. But people talk about deficiencies as a rebounder, and that that just doesn't that doesn't ever work at Michigan State. And so I wondered. I miss you offered him, and they went hard. So they must have been convinced that they could have changed that. But I, I wonder if there's a lot of frustration that's going to be saved on both sides. The other thing in Iowa State's column uh, that people may not realize, Iowa State got to the Sweet 16 last year. Yeah, They had a huge turnaround. They were terrible two years ago. And then turned it around, got to the Sweet 16. So you can say, well, Michigan State should never lose a guy to Iowa State. Well, if all things are equal, I agree. But you mentioned the geographic consideration might be a factor, maybe. Um, Michigan State hadn't been in on him nearly as long. So he was loyal to people who were in on him early. You can't fault that. And the fact is, more often than not, Iowa State's pretty good in basketball. Yeah. If you go back historically, they're not Michigan State, but – we're not talking about Michigan state losing a kid to Northwestern or to, I don't know, Kansas state, Iowa state has had a lot of success over the years. I mean, Michigan state beat them to go to a final four in 2000, the year they won it. So yeah. we've seen, and there've been a lot of years where Iowa state's been competitive. So it's not as if he committed to a terrible program. Historically, Iowa state's usually pretty good. Yeah, both the Iowa schools are, are very solid most of the time. There are some down years, but uh, yeah, it's not like he committed to Nebraska or something like that, right? I, I'd say Iowa State over the last 30 years is a better program than Iowa, for sure. Definitely, Basketball, yeah. Ab- absolutely, much more consistent. Yeah, Iowa had a good decade there where they were pretty bad with the lick lighter years. Absolutely. Uh, yep, so uh, then next to uh, be Matas Buzelis, who is a 6'9 forward from Sunrise Christian, uh, there's no offer from Michigan State, but he ended up going prof- going to turn professional anyway in the G well, they, League. They offered him, but it, it just never seemed like there was anything serious. And you know, Gonzaga was in the mix there. there he seemed like a Gonzaga guy to me. Uh, very skilled guy. People think really highly of him. 
but he opted to go G League Ignite anyway, so doesn't really matter. Scotty Middleton uh, is a Sunrise Christian guy. He's 6'6 forward. They offered him, but Michigan State did not make his final five list. Uh, one point on him, this gets back to my MSU and OSU thing. Uh, it's starting to look like Ohio State may land him, uh, which might affect the Devin Royal recruitment. We'll have to see uh, since they're similarly sized guys. But um, Michigan State tried to get in on that one and didn't get very far. Uh, both of those kids playing at Sunrise, though, it's worth pointing out that with Tom, you know, MSU's gotten a couple guys from Sunrise. Malik Hall currently on the roster, and then before that, Tum Tum Nairn. And Tum Tum is on the coaching staff at Sunrise these days. So these will not be the last two guys you see from Sunrise with MSU offers. And yeah, hopefully absolutely. they'll get a little further. <laughs> uh, the, another one would be uh, Braylon Green. Six three guard from Detroit, who I guess we thought was going to get end up at Michigan State and just kind of didn't happen. Well, yeah, this is a year ago. The betting would have been really strong on Braylon Green being a Michigan State Spartan, and that has changed. He's yet to play two consecutive years at the same school. He started at Ypsilanti Lincoln, um, where uh, uh, Imani Bates started. And then he ended up at, I'm drawing a blank where he's been. So I know he was at a school in Arizona, but he's bounced, he's bounced around. And unfortunately, that's also started to happen in AAU as well. So he started this spring playing with Jeremy Fears on Indy uh, Indy, uh, Heat. And so there was a thought, okay, that could be good for Michigan State. But he ended up leaving that team and bouncing back to the family after the first weekend. And the word was it wasn't his choice. (laughs) I, I don't think in this case that it's necessarily the kid. Oh, I had forgotten. That's right. He started out last year at SoCal Academy playing with Jackson Kohler and he lasted like a week or two and then, and then bounced. So there's been a lot of instability, which never seems to add up to a Michigan state equation. Um, I don't want to get into all the details, but his brother is a guy named Alex Legion. And so for people who go way back in recruiting, they may remember that name and know that, um, there were some interesting people around Alex Legion and some of those people are around Braylon green. So it's too bad. He's been hurt a lot too. That's the other thing. So that has maybe held him back at his best. He's a really good basketball player, super athletic, got some ball skills, can shoot a bit. You know, he's a guy who makes a lot of sense at Michigan state as a wing. He's Michigan state kind of wing. They think he can be good defensively. But it, there's been very little to no activity on the recruiting front with him. So for now, I don't think I don't know where he's going to go, but I don't think it's going to be Michigan State. And it's funny, you haven't really seen his recruitment heat up either. It's kind of been like supposedly he really wanted Kansas to get involved and they did offer him, but they're not. They don't seem to be going hard. He could easily end up at a place like Arizona State and just kind of disappear into oblivion. 
the way most guys who go to the Pac-12 do, or Pac, sorry, Pac-10. Yeah, well, um, whatever they are now, well, soon they'll be the Big Ten, right? Or part of it, at least, <laughs> the USC right. UCLA now. Uh, right. Well, let's move on, on to a 2024 class. And then Michigan State already has three offers in. We've already talked about Darrell Brooks, Fat Fat Brooks, so I don't know that we need to go into too much detail with him. Only that I say this. He's had a really good spring and summer. He has consistently been great for the family from everything I've seen and heard. Um, so he's done nothing but continue to improve his profile. And and he's another guy Michigan State really likes. Uh, they think he's a leader. They think he's a winner. He's already won, won uh, one state title in Michigan, and he's definitely in a position to maybe win another one this year. Um the thing that always made me hesitant about him is I know that his family are all big Michigan fans. And I wonder if Michigan going to get into it. And Michigan has offered him this spring, but I don't know. I don't know how hard they've recruited him. And so that's going to be telling, I think how hard they go after him. But I think Michigan state has done everything they could do to really give themselves a shot. And they do want him. Uh, the other one of the other players is Jesse McCullough. He's a six nine forward from Cleveland, and uh, State's been in on them quite a while. And right now, it looks like just Missouri is the only other Power Five who's got an offer and is going after. They him. well, just one small correction. They just offered him, but but they're in on him early because his recruitment has mostly been well. It's been entirely mid majors until the last couple of weeks. Missouri got in a few days before MSU. But thus far, they're the only two power fives. I have only seen clips, but the clips I saw, this is the definition of a stretch foreman. I mean, he can shoot, and he and it's not just a case of, okay, I'm seeing clips of the shots he hit. He looks smooth doing it. I mean, this is a really good release. So definitely a name to watch. I, you know, I was racking my brain. Who was the last guy that MSU recruited out of Cleveland and I believe it's Delvon Rowe. I couldn't come up with a more recent name than that, even among guys they've missed on. Um, Cleveland hasn't produced a lot in the way of high-end talent recently. Uh, so he's an anomaly. But again, an Ohio kid that Michigan State's getting in on. In this case, they're getting in on him a lot earlier than they did a guy like Devin Royal. So we'll see what, what happens. But at least you could say they're not behind on this one. Sure. Uh, and then finally, be Jace Richardson, who's a six-three guard, who is the son of former Michigan State Spartan Jason Richardson. Yeah, you know they offered him, God, like a year ago, and he's a big-time guy nationally, but there just doesn't seem to be. And and I have heard that, you know, Jason doesn't want to in any way push his son, so it's it's not going to be a recruitment where. You know, like a guy like Mateen Cleaves, I'd have a hard time seeing that he wouldn't kill his son if he wanted to go anywhere. <laughs> if his son was good enough to play at Michigan State, you know, Jason, I, I don't think is built that way. And and we've seen it. He's had relatives, nephews, cousins who have been MSU recruits. Ty Rogers and Tugs Bowen didn't end up here, you know. So I think it's going to be the same deal with his son. Um, just not. And MSU is in on on so many guards, so many point guards in particular, that it's not any big deal. You know, good player, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. 
And as far as the commitment process goes, there's nothing, you're not actually committing to anything in the sense that you're not signing, like this is not letter of intent or not even, I mean, you know, where you're actually expected to play where, cause right now it's so far out. Even if you committed to Michigan state, you could say, well, you could change your mind a year from now. Right. I mean, I, I can't remember when they yeah. actually have to sign their letters. Yeah. And that's, that's gotten to be a little more common in basketball. It used to never happen. It used to be decommitments were a football thing. And you rarely saw it in basketball, but we are seeing it a little. I mentioned Gigi Jackson we were talking about just a few minutes ago. So you see it a little more often. I'd still, if you got a commitment from a kid, even a year out, I'd still feel pretty good about it in this sport, but you never know. You never know. And then finally, the uh, possible offers is Dylan Grant, 6'7 forward, who plays at Mission Collegiate and playing with a family 17 under group. Interesting situation. He does not have an MSU offer yet, but I'm I'm kind of calling a shot here, thinking he's going to get one. And there's a and there's a legitimate reason why I think that. So as you mentioned, he's been playing up with the seventeen under team uh, for the family. He should be with the sixteens, so he's playing up a level. Um, he's six seven, but he plays bigger than that. He's he's a guy you would play as a four man, I think. MSU has been to see the family 17 under the last time there was a live session, they watched them. And before I realized he had been moved up, I was wondering why are they there? It was well, Braylon green place for them, but I don't think that's going to happen. Could they be looking at a guy like Curtis Williams and giving him one more go around, but they've seen him play a million times. They've never offered. So I, I was racking my brain trying to figure out who were they watching. And then I found out, oh, Dylan Grant's playing up. That could be it. He just had the first game in Peach Jam, Peach Jam, which is the de facto EYBL Nike team national championship, is going on this week. And the first games were last night. And in the first game, Dylan Grant, again, playing up a year, had 18 and 8. So he's not only playing, he's playing well. Um, and he played pretty well the first weekend he was with them. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him end up with an offer. I don't know when, but, you know, in-state kid plays at a small high school, not one of the traditional powers you expect to see. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen Michigan collegiate play. I wouldn't even um, know where they are. I'm not sure either, but I've heard his name for about a year. And uh, as a guy worth watching, and we're starting to see why now. So just a name kind of keep in the back of your mind. He could end up getting onto the MSU radar at some point. And then I guess we wanted to, a late addition to the notes, it would be Tayshaun Bridges, right? He's a 6'2 guard yeah. from Wisconsin. I, I'm unclear. I don't have any information that says Tayshaun Bridges has an offer. But I saw something an hour before we started to tape this. He, he's from Wisconsin, but he plays for Mac Irvin Fire, which is an Illinois-based AAU program. Um, 6'2", guard, very athletic, kind of a stronger kid. Um, he says that Michigan State, Ohio State, and Arizona State are recruiting him harder than anyone. So I don't know much more than that about him, uh, other than, as I said, I've seen some clips. Definitely athletic, no doubt about that. Capable of playing point guard. Um, and he says Michigan State is in on him hard, but I have not seen an indication that they've offered. 
And just as a little factoid, the Michigan Collegiate is a charter school in Roseville. There we go. There you go. There we go. That's, That's why you really, probably haven't heard of it because the new charter schools, right? Sure. It's a changing landscape of <laughs> high school athletics as well. Really, yeah, but you never know. I'd have to look into it deeper to see maybe the coach there is a connection that, you know, sometimes that happens. Um, that happened with Rocket Watts. Rocket Watts played at some funky schools in Michigan and it was a, it was a coaching connection. And I'm always surprised too, when you go, we're going to go to 2025 now that we're actually this far out and there's still some offers. Um, so Jalen Harrison, Harrelson is a six, seven combo guard from Fishers, Indiana. Definitely had a lot of players from that area. And, uh, he's got a bunch of offers already from a bunch of other big 10 schools and, uh, sec schools. Yeah. Um, big, big, big time player. This is a guy who's probably going to be, I mean, we, there's still time for things to unfold, but as of right now, you'd be looking at the probable top 10 guy nationally. So he's from Fishers, which is the hometown of uh, Gary Harris, he's not mm-hmm. the same high school, uh, but he plays for the Spee Cindy Heat. Michigan State has deep connections with that AAU program as well. Um, you mentioned the offers, IU, Purdue, Michigan, Iowa, Maryland, Missouri, Auburn, and others. Um, this is going to be a heavyweight, probably, I would think, uh, an upper Midwest recruitment. We'll see. Uh, but there are people who insist he's legitimately a point guard at 6'7". So that's interesting. Uh, I see other people say it's more of a combo thing, but a lot of talent. For Michigan State, you know, it's funny. These are guys who are heading into their sophomore year in high school. And there are four guys with offers, which is unusual for Michigan State at this stage. So he's the most recent, uh, but definitely a name to watch. We'll see how serious MSU is in that mix. Yeah, it's interesting, especially this time where you have the transfer portal to be offering people three years out. But I guess you might in some ways think you might have a better chance of these kids because and maybe him, not him because he's more so celebrated, but you wonder because they're, they want to try and get it locked in ahead of time before, you know, they have to deal with transfers and such here. And, and here's the other thing. that's a commonality. All four of these guys are big 10 traditional big 10 footprint guys. They're all upper Midwest guys. Um, there's a kid from Michigan, a kid from Ohio, a kid from Illinois, a kid from Indiana. So they're all in that area. And that means MSU has been able to get to know them a little bit. They've seen them. So it's a little different and they're all highly rated guys. These are all guys that if you had a, a top 50 in that class, they'd all likely be on it. So they're offering guys that they're betting are going to remain high level players. And so you'll take, you know, you'll take chances on that. And Jeremiah fears would be the, the next one we could talk about a six, two guard, Obviously, younger brother of Jeremy Fears, and uh, again, class of twenty twenty five, and great player. <laughs> um, like. He is already about an inch taller than than his brother. Um, he looks different. He's thinner. You know, Jeremy is really well put together. He's a strong kid. Jeremiah, at least as of right now, is not that solid um, physically, but man, he he is impressive. He does not have the shooting knock that his older brother has. He can shoot the ball, uh, but he's also capable of being a lead guard. Uh, he's not playing with an EYBL program. He's he's with um, more of a grassroots team, but he played up with a 17-under group. So 
up two levels uh, last weekend and dropped 42 points in a game. So he is a sport. He's very likely from everything I've seen, he's going to be an elite guy once the rankings start coming. Um, you never know how this works out, but I would assume, you know, Michigan state has offered him. Uh, he's got other offers too. I know Michigan offered him some other school. I think Illinois has offered. So it'll probably be a heavyweight fight, but boy, you know, you'd rather have a familial connection than not. Yeah. You think, yeah, that's always funny whether the guy wants to be out of his brother's shadow or if he wants to be, right. you know, if he was really excited to play with his brother. Right. I mean, that doesn't happen that often when you're little. Sometimes that happens, but, um, I, more often than not, I think it does give you a leg up. Sure. I think there's some Vincent kids who play for Michigan state. They're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Trey McKenney, six, three guard from Flint. So he's a Michigan guy you're referring to. Uh, so he's, I guess, uh, I guess he's been offered as well. And you bet you feel like in general, it's not as likely to land him. No. And that's just based on a variety of things I've heard over the last couple of years. Um, very, very good kid. Uh, very good player style. You know, six, three, good athlete. He's put together physically. You could see him playing in the big 10 now. Um, been on the national radar for years, but I have heard that it's unlikely that he ends up at Michigan State. And again, it's it's down to family around him. Um, but we'll see. And they have offered. They did like within the last month. Sure. And it's a couple years out, right? So things can certainly change. They're, oh, it's, you know, look, if you had told me two years ago that Michigan State would be sitting in the position they're in with fat, fat Brooks, I, I would have been inclined to disbelieve it. So you just never know, but but a kid like McKenny, I just I've, I've always heard Michigan, and we'll see. And then finally, uh, Jerry Easter, who's a six-five guard from Toledo, and uh, well, we were just talking about William Buford, who Michigan State was in on, yeah. and didn't quite land end up with, and ended up at Ohio State. Yeah, you know Toledo hasn't consistently produced great basketball players, but they've had a few Jim Jackson being the best, certainly in the last 40 years or so, um, 30 years, William Buford was a really, he was a good player at Ohio state, but he was a guy people really wanted Michigan state really wanted him. Um, and he was a good player on some good Ohio state teams, but it's been a while. I mean, William Buford, I want to say 2008, 2007, Somewhere in that range was when he was coming into college. Uh, so it's been a long time. Jerry Easter, probably the biggest name since then. He's already been to games at Michigan State. He got offered actually last year after the Michigan-Michigan State football game. So he's had an offer for a while. Um, this is another one, Ohio State, very firmly in the mix. He has some familial connections to Ohio State. His mom played basketball for a year at Michigan, but from what I've read, I don't know that I would expect Michigan to be as big a threat as Ohio State. Uh, his dad is apparently very close with Jim Jackson. So I would think Ohio State is probably the favorite, but MSU is recruiting him and they've been in it. And again, we got a long way to go. So 6'5 guard, maybe more of an off guard than a point guard, but has some on-ball skills too, from what I understand. Well, that should keep us, uh, get us all caught up with recruiting, at least where we stand right now. Anything else you add? I think, I mean, I feel like we've gone through the next last three years and I feel, I feel like in general, the, the momentum of the recruiting looks pretty good. I mean, you don't, 
you don't get the impression of a coach is fading away. And I think you always worry about that with someone near the end of his career. I'm because you know, Thomas is definitely the back end of back half of his career, however long that is, right? But you certainly don't feel like a he's struggling to get big names and to have be seriously in the mix for these things. I don't know. I mean, I know people sometimes lament the fact, he, and at, you know, every time you lose some player that to Duke or whomever, uh, you know, you can think the sky is falling. But you have to recognize that these are really, you know, these are tough players to recruit too. That, that, that's it. You know, it's always the sky is falling and what gets ignored. And, and you're seeing it now with Michigan State football because they're recruiting at a level that, that's frankly much more akin to what Michigan State basketball has done over the years, where they're in on a lot of highly rated kids and they don't get all. And so people think the sky is falling, forgetting, oh, the guy, you know, this is a classic example this year, you know, this current class. So you lose out on some guys. But they've got a kid already in Jeremy Fears who I think is going to be sensational. And as a point guard, that's, man, that's what you want. You know, as media program. So I don't think Michigan's, I don't think Izzo's lost a step. He's working as hard as ever. Uh, He's everywhere all the time from everything you read. Guys they're in on, he's there every chance he gets. So, I, to me, it, it things seem very consistent with the way they've always been. I don't see any signs of slippage. Um, you know, we'll see how they close in this 23 class. I mean, if they were able to get, you know, at least one of Booker and Royal, let's say they get Booker to go with Fears right there as a two-man class, that's incredible. That's That's a... You know, to me, that's that's a class you could probably, at least in terms of potential, you could put with any two-man group they've got maybe ever in, in Izzo's history, you know? And again, at least in terms of potential. You get Booker and Royal or a kid like Burks, man, then you've really got a class. So I, I think this is, yeah, I don't see any signs that things are slipping. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I do like the balance you feel like. You're going to have experience for the next couple of years because you have definitely players who are very good, but you're not going to be like gone right away. And then you bring in somebody who comes in for a year or maybe two, and you you have a, you have ability to have that core and the understanding of the system and be able to to sort of nurture new players. But but us at the same time being able to to get get those guys in and they're going to be able to get their minutes that they need. Look, if if things go the way Michigan State hopes they'll go, you know, even if you lose Hauser and Hall. There's a there's a chance those would be the only two guys you'd lose. Now Tyson Walker maybe goes, maybe AJ Hogarth. You don't know. We're in this this era where it truly is year to year. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there's a chance that Michigan State comes back next year, you know, 23-24 season. Very, very solid. And if you add the guys that we're talking about, well, then you might be talking about a team. You know, sneak preview or spoiler alert. (laughs) While I am optimistic about Michigan State this year, I'm optimistic about their chances to compete in the league. I don't think this is a team that is a likely national title contender. But they might be a year away. And they might be in a position, and I would bet that's what they're selling a guy like Xavier Booker on, is, hey, next year, we're going to have all these guys back. They're all going to be a year better. We need one more piece to take us over the top. 
and that might be the truth. So we'll, we'll have to see how it all evolves. A lot can change over the next few months in terms of how we perceive it. But um, that's how I would be looking at it. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty excited. And actually, I'm, I'm very excited just even for this season. I think I'm much more optimistic about the season than uh, after the season ended. You were with the departures of Christy and Marble and and Gabe and Marcus. You kind of think, wow, there's a lot of holes and it's tough to fill. But now I'm, I start to see at least the construction of the team makes sense. And so I feel like there's that it's not like you see a gigantic glaring hole. Obviously the five is something you're never sure about, but you don't feel like they're just huge deficiencies. that's going to be tough to overcome. I don't know. I just, unlike, you know, like point guard situation a year or two ago, that that was something you thought that's going to be really hard. Right. That, that is so important that people can't real. You can't talk about it enough. The fact that now, point guard looks like something that should be a strength. And I really do believe that because Hogard and Walker are a year older and we're, we're pretty good last year. And I think we'll be better this year. And then you add Trey Holloman into that mix, man, if, if you are that strong at that position, a lot of other things starts to happen around it, you know, whereas a team like Michigan that looks pretty good at some other spots to me has a, gaping gaping hole at the point i don't know how they're going to be better i have no idea you know college basketball is such a guard centric game and again look at these offers so they've already got jeremy fears in 23 look at 24 Darrell brooks he can play the point jace richardson who they're not going to get but he can play the point 2025 jalen harrelson can play the point jeremiah fears can play the point Jerry Easter can play the point. Trey McKinney's more of an off guard, but you see this. It's, it's clear as day. He wants his high school recruiting to be focused in large part on guys that can create, can run an offense, can be a leader. And if you solve that problem, man, a lot of other things start falling into place. And I think that's part of why I agree with you that I think this is going to be it has the potential to be a fun year. It really does. Yeah. Well, and we're due for one. Because <laughs> we've yeah. kind of been just limping along for a couple of years. That's and I, I couple feel struggles. Yeah. Yeah. And I would and I would say, especially with the point guard, you you definitely see that so much when you see a guy who you know when Rocket Watts running the point, guys are getting the ball and they're not getting it in the shooting spot, right? It makes a it's a, it's amazing the difference to how much longer it takes you to get that set up. And now your shots contested more, you get gets blocked or whatever. It makes a huge difference. I mean, I'm just watching the difference from Cassius Winston, who's always feeding people the ball right where they need it, so they can get their McQuake can get the shot off, versus last year. And you take a good shooter and you make and he's gonna struggle just because you're not giving that extra fraction of a second or whatever it might be. And that and that's where you really hope that the maturation of guys like Hogarth and Walker really starts to take everybody to another level because all of a sudden those passes aren't a half beat late or a half beat out of the shooter's pocket. They're right on time, right where they need to be. And all of a sudden your offense elevates just as a result of that. I think there's reason to hope that that is what we're going to see. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there and we'll keep going for a little while, but it's not going to be too long, much longer. I think about three or four weeks, we're going to have to start our big 10 preview where you're going to tell us exactly how the big 10's, Standings will end up at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck to me on that one. We've got a lot of new. 
I have no idea. And it's not like I haven't thought about it. It's just I still have no idea. I think I'm just going to come up with my list uh, right at the very last second after we've gone through all the previews, and we'll see how that it, it'll be sort of like the secretary, you know, just goes based on the the team colors or something or the mascots. You know? yeah. <laughs> see uh-huh. how it goes. But we've got a lot of new uh, features coming up. We've obviously been putting a lot of content out and um, changing the the uh, professionalization of the show. And so we appreciate you along with the journey. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. Leave us a five-star written review. It's greatly appreciated. And continue recommending the show to your friends and family. Those Spartan fans need to know about this so they have the best access to what's going on in the basketball, either the casual or the serious uh, MSU basketball fan. But until next time, the final four is not in the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.